Hello, this is Amy Bowen. Welcome to my show, Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew. This is episode number 10, released Sunday, October 6th, 2019. I'm Amy Bowen, and I'll be your host for tonight's episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew, the show where old movies are watched, appreciated, commented on, discussed, and sometimes compared and contrasted with new movies. This is our very first episode since joining the Apple Podcasts directory. If you found me through that or any other directory, hello and welcome. If you're wondering why this is episode 10 and not episode 1, it's because I decided to follow the old received wisdom and wait until I had a solid base of content to build upon before promoting my show and submitting it to podcast directories. You can go back and listen to episodes 1 through 9 if you like, but I realize not everyone will want to, so here's a short introduction to what this show is all about. In early 2013, some friends of mine and I were at our usual Saturday night hangout session, and it came up in conversation that some members of the group had never seen the classic movies The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or Casablanca. After learning this, Stu, one of the people involved in that conversation, asked Jared, another member of the group, if he could borrow one of the movie nights that Jared held every Sunday night at his house so he could show people those movies. And it took off from there. From February 2013 through June 2018, movie night alternated between Stu's place and Jared's place every Sunday night. Stu's movie nights were primarily classic movie-focused, while Jared's were primarily contemporary movie-focused, but both styles engendered some great discussions. In fact, they were such good discussions that I decided, we should record these and do a podcast. And here we are. For this first foray into the world of podcast directories, I'm starting with the oldest recording I have on my portable hard drive from those days. It was recorded March 2nd, 2014, And at the time, I intended it to be a special segment on the late, great Jack Mangan's Deadpan podcast. One of the features we did on that show was Paloozas, which were episodes filled with content inspired by and celebrating a particular piece of media that we'd all watched or listened to or read, etc., and enjoyed. It never ended up getting released on that show, so I'm releasing it as the first directory-indexed episode of my show. My goal with this podcast is to keep the Palooza spirit alive and to keep the spirit of our in-person movie nights alive. Thanks for joining me on this journey. The next thing you'll hear will be part of the introduction that I recorded for that late great deadpan podcast episode, originally recorded June 4th, 2014. We did have a few technical difficulties making this recording. I cut off the first part of somebody's thought at the beginning of the recording, 
and then my laptop froze up and quit recording about 54 seconds after I'd pressed record, and I didn't discover it until about 5 minutes later, so I had to stop the discussion and start recording again. I'll drop in an audio indication of when that happened. About 2 minutes and 43 seconds after the restart, you'll hear a click. That's when I remembered that my microphone had three settings, and I switched it to the correct setting for recording a group of people in a room. Sorry about that. We also recorded speaker IDs at the end of our recording session, but I'm going to drop them in in between the point where the audio cuts off because the computer froze up and the point where we started it up again, so that my deadpan friends will know who's who sooner. Without further ado, here are my friends and I discussing 2001 and Repo Man. Such as, don't do drugs, life of crime doesn't pay, uh, suburban white kids are the most likely to do stupid things. I wouldn't say it's a PSA for drugs, because every man Everyone did drugs. I mean, I mean, even except for Emilio Estevez, I mean, he was pretty clean for what he was, but he still drank, but other than that... He did drugs. He, he, he tried drugs? some cocaine, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, oh, yeah. never fucking mind. <laughs> you can't really be a drug PSA when your protagonist characters are doing drugs. I, I'd call them more anti-heroes. Well, the good guys and the bad guys are doing yeah. drugs. Wait, 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 wait. They're protagonists because we're following them. They're not heroes. Anti that's a different thing. They're main characters because we're following them. That doesn't mean they're actually good people. I didn't say they're good people, but I'm saying they're protagonists. I'm, I'm not sure that the agency of the people of the And that was the point where my computer froze up. So here are the speaker IDs. Okay, can we do a speaker identification? Use a real name, use an internet name, use whatever the heck you want. You're, this is going to ha be heard by people who don't have any idea who you are. <laughs> okay. But or so you I'll assume. Um, I'll, start, I'll start with myself and go this way just for the heck of it. This is Amy Bowen, a.k.a. the Deadpan Ambassador. Your turn. Oh. <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> what, just whatever you want to be known by. ASL. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> your your name, the nickname you want to be known as. Uh, my name is Nicole. Okay. I said nothing except for the pillow pet being oh. wrong. <laughs> That's Which okay. awesome. Sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You but didn't. I'm I'm savvy. Hey. Hi, my name's Jared. I'm a chocoholic. <laughs> known as Romeo Solo and Good Diving Man. Thank you. Yep. I'm Bob Vila from from PBS. <laughs> First of all, that man doesn't even own a hammer. <laughs> Secondly, I'm Stu Burns. Uh, you might know me as Stu the History Guy. Okay, so we had two people who chose not to use their real names and decided to go by Nicole and Bob Vila. Anyway, on with the show. Since we have to start again, let's start with the observation that we all made at the end of the movie. That the car basically is the monolith, and everybody yes. <laughs> wants to talk, touch it. Yes, everyone wants to touch the monolith, even after they've seen it zap people and kill them. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Because there's something yeah. about it that, that invites you so... It, it, well, it's straight up inviting. It's, it's utterly compelling that you've got to touch it. it, it what amazed me, honestly, is just how almost exactly the final scene 
of Repo Man mirrors the fi- the interstitial scenes of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Except for at least this time, the lights make sense when you're seeing the reflection of them on the guy's face. Well, I think they make sense if it's Jupiter also. No, that didn't make sense as if... It, that didn't look like it would be Jupiter. It made sense know, as far as what they understood at the time. It's Jupiter, and when it comes right down to it, it it's... Besides. It's not meant to be pure on this is what it looks like. It's meant to be this is what's being seen. Plus, he's going through existentialism. He's ripping through the fabric of stuff. Yep, actually I would agree. And I, what really hit me was we see that shot of the close-up of Otto's face when he's driving around in the car. The parallelism between him and Dave and those close-up shots of Dave's eyes really hit me at that moment. And the open mouth. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think you know? Because going back to everything in the movie being con- being connected, you have um, hyper, you have hyper evangelism, Scientology, uh, the air fresheners, all this union synchronicity, all the way through the all the way through the flick. Do you think that the aliens in the car are akin to the aliens in the monolith in two thousand one? Do you think they're trying to bring us to a higher plane of existence? Do we know that there's aliens in two thousand one? I think you're pretty sure there's aliens in 2001. I think the monolith represents at least extraterrestrialism, and it's... I mean, even if it's not a direct, this is an alien named Bob, it's still... Uh, this is a something. I don't know. I mean, that it, that could have been the force that is God, too. Well, Actually, that in itself is, a, is an aim of, a, of, a, of a intelligence. Or of, it's like... Uh, Miller said in this one, it's from the future. It's us in the future going to the past to make people in the past so that there's a future. Oh. He said that in this one, that's why people disappear. It's because they go to the past so that there's a future. So if you want to link that to 2001, would you say that the monolith is actually a channeling of the consciousness of the future into the past to bring... Um, the chimpanzees a little bit closer to their ultimate destiny to bring the humans closer to their star, t- star child destiny also. Either that, either that or it's literally something we build in the future. And yeah, then send back to the past. I don't know, 2001 I still see it as more of a, this is a what's it that's making, that's causing things to happen as it goes. I'm seeing it more as a literal progression rather than you know, something something causing one thing in a chain reaction kind of causing a circle through time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just the way my brain's interpreting it. I, I also like the point you made earlier about the uh, there's no product placement except for 7-Up <laughs> being sung as a jingle in the beginning. So maybe it's supposed to be an upbeat movie. <laughs> well, that, I, I think that 7-Up jingle is just really an example of just the banality of society. I mean, here's this kid working a job and this kind this commercial jingles has utterly infiltrated his life. You know, he he's not he's not singing. Um, he's he, he's not singing any of the great punk bands that are there in this movie. He's singing this stupid little jingle. Well, if you're working retail, I and mean, even nowadays retail, you're always hearing advertisements. Mm-hmm. You're always mm-hmm. hearing jingles. Yeah, it's a soul crushing profession. It reminds me a lot of a <laughs> Coen Brothers movie. How so? Well, a Coen well, a Coen Brother movie. There tends tends to be everything is connected, like like you were saying, everything's in kind of a circular fashion. Everything connects to a certain main idea. A big thing with Cohen with the Cohen brothers is they like having very specific themes. They like having themes of these care these main characters who are kind of blank slates to a certain extent, but still have their own personality. They also have characters who 
tend to be funny, that tend to be able to connect and run you through the... You have characters like Harry Dean Stanton. Mm-hmm. You have characters who connect these all these things together. Well, ca- characters like Miller. I mean, here's the guy who... If you met Miller on the bus, you'd be wanting to move away from this guy. You'd be wanting to get off the, on the next stop. Oh, yeah, no, he's... And the movie, you realize, my God, the man's entirely right. <laughs> I don't know. It still also reminds me of a little Pulp Fiction. I mean, oh, the sure. trunk mm-hmm. is the briefcase. You never see what's. You never get to look at it, but it still has that glowing light that. And everyone changes wants the world. to look at it and touch it. Well, there's a couple ways to look at the well, movie. That, no one dies. Because I, I, that's the alternate way to look at the movie is if you put a, if you put aside from the actual. If you put a, if you put aside all the sci-fi metaphysics of the movie, you know. Jared, to your point, I think that's the alternate way of looking at what, what, what the movie is. It's really the entire Aliens in the Trunk, the entire Chevy Malibu is just, that's, that's the MacGuffin. That's just the excuse to get all these crazy L.A. punk rock characters to interact <laughs> and do crazy L.A. punk rock repo man things. This, this is the guy, this is Alex Cox directed this. This is the same guy who directed Sid and Nancy two years later. If any director ever understood punk rock, it was Alex Cox. And that's the alternate explanation of the film, yeah, is that the aliens in the trunk, all, this, all the sci-fi elements of the whole movie, they're just a MacGuffin. They're just an excuse to get these guys to, to, to show the L.A. punk scene of the early 80s. Did we really see much of the L.A. The punk scene? I mean, we saw people being punks, but the only band we saw performing was the Circle Jerks. Oh, that was the Circle Jerks? That was the Circle Jerks in the, in the nightclub. Okay, that didn't sound like punk. <laughs> yeah, and remember how Otto said, "Hey, I used to like these guys." Okay. So maybe, maybe mm. they used to be more punk than that. Or maybe or, Otto's not punk or, anymore. Yeah, or it oh. just shows that he's become someone different. That's because Otto right. does evolve. Mm-hmm. Considering yeah. he no longer wants to hang out with the same people he was with, he doesn't do crime stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. He's not interested in hurting people. Technically, Otto touched the monolith twice. When you first repoed it, yeah, he, when, when he got, when he got, got in, in, with the what, what was the scientist's name? The guy with the lobotomy. Shit, I don't know. Well, there, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact Cr- is, crazy guy his name really himself. wasn't important. He he was important to a certain extent, but he wasn't important in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, a crazy scientist guy who sold the car in the first place. Yes. Actually, it might have been his car. It was his car. Oh, that's he right. It was his car. He stole the in the truck. Of his car. And then right. kept telling people to open the trunk as his way to get out of everything. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just want to yeah, call okay. the guy Briar Rabbit. He's like, yeah, <laughs> whatever you do, don't throw me the Briar Patch. And it's the same thing. He's like, whatever you do, don't look in that trunk. Just <laughs> <laughs> don't want to go there. No, no, it's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like the, the film, the... Um, in terms of film history, the film that came before before this, yes, how? that's like well, or, or the the like Pulp Fiction, is a movie called Kiss Me Deadly from nineteen fifties that has a box. Then you open it, this huge bright light comes out, and, it's, and you have to and you have to shut it really quickly. It's in Kiss Me Deadly. It's it's been implied to be a nuclear warhead, but in this, it's implied to be aliens. So He's how? It, it, that, that, so this, the aliens in the trunk might be a. An homage to Kiss Me Deadly, not, not unlike Pulp Fiction, is also an homage to Kiss Me Deadly. I don't think that Quentin Tarantino's name might work Repo Man, but yeah, maybe it was, I don't know. Okay. Continue, Jared. So, he was crazy. He was driving 
the all-precious vehicle. Oh. And he killed people in some parts by tricking them. He's Hal. Yeah, mi- minus the mission. Oh, well, he, he, he has to be on a mission. mission. He's the one who stole the alien, so he definitely has some kind of mission. He went off mission when he went cuckoo. <laughs> Do we have any yeah. idea what, what, what his motivation was in this, in this whole movie? What, why, why did he take the aliens? What was he doing? Maybe. Trying to make them pu- public, according exactly. to what the girl said. Yeah, that's what, that's what it was she Marlene. Said, and he went on a tangent about when he said that he got a lobotomy. <laughs> Of course, by the end of it, he was so not wanting him to t- messed up. Do certain things and say things and tell people stuff. Well, we, don't so really, we don't really know his I would assume that it was just to make it public. Since yeah. the government or whatever was trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. Well, the girl was trying to make it public. I'm not sure he was. She well, said he it, was part of her secret. He was part of the organization? Yeah, I think yeah. that's... I remember getting that the first time. The guy, crazy guy who stole the aliens and the girl, I think her name is Marlene, I think... She meant uh, somewhere along the line. Did it? Did it get mentioned that they were part of that same organization that wanted she, to make and the he aliens tried to public? Ca- call her, she but did. he was using the scrambler and ah, she wasn't. Yes, so that's right. Actually, there was connections between the two. Nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's too bad that Otto's name wasn't Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, literary illusion is one thing, but that'd be going kind of overboard. <laughs> yeah, making it a little bit and too frankly, obvious. And frankly, you don't want that, because that cheapens it. Well, I don't it's think it was intended to be a remake of... No. Or, or, remake, or, or homage, at least. No, and it, it there are similar themes in certain things, and so sometimes that's... I mean, maybe that last shot might have been a... No, no, no we need to have a shot, because yeah. this is... A, I mean, the last five minutes feel like 2001. And maybe, and maybe that's supposed to be the case, but as far as the movie in general, no. I wouldn't. I, I don't. I wouldn't think so. And also, I think Otto is a more name that just sounds more right for a punk dude than Dave. No offense. No offense, anyone named Dave. Yeah. They, they also talked about how easy it is to get a new name and new ID. So I mean, it's oh. that's true. It's possible his real name was Dave, and he just <laughs> wanted to be Otto because that's more oh. punk. Because he's going around with a fake ID. Yeah. Ah. He comes in there, and they said, "Are you really twenty-one?" That's what the card says. <laughs> Who knows what his real name was? Good point. And, and, he and the never... Gina knew that he was eighteen because they, they they when they had his name on there as as her boyfriend, uh, it said uh, twenty one correction age eighteen. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, so it it was a fake ID. He never tells anyone his last name. If your no. name was Otto, would you? Ah, uh, probably not. <laughs> Parnell. That was the name of the, the, the scientist dude. Like oh, Parnell was oh, a scientist okay. It was very, it was very stripped down. Everything was, it's some some movies you get a lot of, well, some novels, some things you get a lot of, you, you get a lot of facts, you get a lot of information that you don't necessarily need, or you get that kind of background and that's used to flush out the story and flush out the characters. In this case, a lot of characters, everything was very stripped down. We don't know, the, we don't know the, the day, the, uh, the, um, kind of after hours lives of most of the characters we know what they do and who they are and they run with it it's very just stripped down from what i can see so we don't know like any, any of their relationships or what was we, the reason for the party what party which party the party yeah. where the wives of the repo men were hitting on emilio west of us i mean that was kind of just oh, yeah. that's probably just a show that they have wives <laughs> and to be honest it could be, it could have been completely cut out 
Because it really wasn't all that necessary. I mean, it gave a little more stuff into Otto's character, you know, just give him a little more stuff to throw in because it was already kind of cut down to begin with, but... It, it might have been to show that he has further changed because he is no longer interested in these women. Mm. When before, all he wanted to do was have sex with people. It's probably the case, except for the fact, isn't that like a minute later he's trying... Well, again, he's dating that, kind of dating that woman. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> well, it, though, well, it was that, possibly the excuse to get him away from the car. Because that mm. sign was waiting for him when he got back. He locked up and went to the party. And when they came back, the car was gone. Yeah. He's he's a very sexually passive character through most of the movie too though. I mean, you remember that, that that early scene where he just goes in that room and just lays back and says, "Well, I'm folding my pants, have at it," and she kicks him out of the bedroom. I mean, this is this this guy is not exactly a Romeo. No, no and, well, even the first time with his girlfriend, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, she was like, "You want to get back in the car?" Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is definitely not an example for guys on what to do with women. Mm, that is for sure. No. Well, he ends up with a car. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. It's not a bad option, but there's only so much you can do with a car. <laughs> At least not without burning and. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that depends on the car. I've I've used that quote so many times that Otto, what about our relationship? A what? Our relationship. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> you shit it. Well, and, that, and that goes back. It, it is. I do kind of like that because it's like he doesn't give a shit in the end, and it's like he just—he is kind of the ultimate hedonist in a sense. He just oh, does yeah. what he wants to fucking do and goes about it. That didn't change. Yeah, the ultimate hedonist, and, and to some extent, just really the ultimate disaffected individual through most mm. of it. I mean, it's very di- very difficult to get him really. Involved in anything, he's just kind of detached, just kind of floating around. Like, what? What the heck is? I this? mean, Harry and Sam has to get shot for him to really be like twice. Oh yeah. Well, and even before that, when his friend was shot, the one, and it was like, "What are you talking about? You were, you were a white suburban kid. Well, Society has nothing to do with a white suburban punk. It's just like me. Uh, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not society. So not only is he jaded, but he's aware that he's jaded. Which, he's you know, not you're, you're, like, you're, you're gonna be alright you're gonna be alright as the guy is convulsing and dying on him like, oh, man. Well, I didn't kill him because we see him later and he's like uh, Otto I do like that they the they, they finally use that as an excuse to, to zoom in on his hand and show the radiation damage to it mm-hmm. uh, hmm. about the ending maybe I'm just a an idealist but I thought but when Otto chooses going for a ride in the car over his semi possibly girlfriend. I thought, well, it's a it's a chance to go on a great adventure and explore space. Oh, absolutely. Maybe. So maybe he's so. a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, really, well, yeah. how, would you stay with a girl that actually flipped the switch to zap you with a bunch of electricity? Didn't know that though. Well, and her character. He knew she was there. That no. was her people. She was with the, the government people. True. That is the slogan, of, like the battle cry of Doctor Who fans lately is, they're just waiting for a, a madman in a blue box to come and say, Allons-y. And that's basically what happens to Otto in the end of that movie. Miller says, let's go for a ride. And well, they do. What's curious is, is that 
at this point, is the car a positive force or a negative force in the end? Is it a good guy or a bad guy? Or is it just kind of a You could ask the same thing about the monolith. It is kind of a force. And as we were discussing when we were towards the end of 2001, Mm -hmm. it's the thing that causes you to evolve further, to jump forward. And radiation does cause interesting evolutionary... It does cause mutation. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now is the monolith a, a... A positive force. I mean, yes, it's causing these people to evolve, but think about it. Is that a good thing? Violently yeah. evolve. Yeah. Causing yeah, to but, but, but before... kill each other with femur bones. Exactly. And, but and kill the, mon- the computer and all that. Yeah, but, but before the monolith, all, all the chimpanzees were living in harmony with nature. I mean, yeah, every once in a while they got killed, but that's that's nature. After the monolith, they're incredibly violent. They kill each other. They turn on each other. They become carnivores. But would you, rather be, would you rather be the ape or the taper? Well, in the mm. beginning, it wasn't really just, big just because I'd ra- because I'd rather be the eater than the eaten doesn't make it right. Well, you know, on a moral level. in Repo, are, are are we saying that the uh, Repo men are the apes that hmm. touch the monolith? Yeah, you could argue that because they're definitely the more violent ones. I, I I think Miller is definitely touching the monolith, but the question is, is that through the movie, he's like the most. Probably the most um, innocuous character there is. He's I would the say, one who's yeah. part of the monolith. Why would you say that? Because he is so in touch with it. I would say he's a guy who's just reading the signs. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the question is, what happens to Miller after this? I mean, now that he's finally found what everyone told him his whole life did not exist, where does he go from here? Does he just go off and become the Dalai Lama in a, in a monastery somewhere? Does he go, just go off to Jupiter and... Live with the Celestials, or... Is he going to be the first Buddha? Or is he going to uh, rule, rule the world with his alien great powers? The question is, 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 is the car really a monolith where it just propels human evolution? Or is it just a force? Is it just an item to be used for whatever means? Or is it something even beyond that? Beyond those two things? Mm. You know, I don't do drugs, but I think to go any deeper in this conversation, <laughs> we'd need some. Yeah. Uh, every... <laughs> when I... When we had this conversation previously on the Deadpan podcast, we were all under the impression, even though it's not actually shown in the movie, we were all under the impression that the car was going to space, to the alien's planet. Um, And I've been working under that assumption, but then again, those are all good ideas, too. Well, Miller did point out that, you know, maybe the spaceships are going back to... Uh Uh-huh, or that. Yeah, that's right. He's the one who got in first. And mm-hmm. really, he was the one who invited Otto to come with him. That's right. He beckoned to him, and we said, the, you get to the car invites who it wants to invite, we said, during that last scene. Mm-hmm. Man, but that means that the possible Adam of our race <laughs> was the brother of Charlie Sheen. <laughs> That's what is, why are you hating on Emilio Estevez? What the I hell don't hate do? Emilio Estevez, but he's in that same gene pool. <laughs> same gene pool as Martin Sheen, who's badass. Same gene yeah. pool as Joe Estevez, who's pretty awesome for being a B-movie actor. And, 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 Emilio and Charlie just Sheen's to, a pretty damn good actor when he's not shooting smack in his eyes. Just to go to, <laughs> just to go on your idea of going to space, just because they're going to space doesn't mean they're not coming back. Ah. That, that's the recurring theme in UFO literature is you, mm-hmm. you get taken up and you get sent back. And, oh. and especially given what we saw in 2001 where, yeah, the guy does go to space, he goes to Jupiter... And? and goes through a couple of generations, and he comes back as an entirely different species. And that last shot is hovering over Earth. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. 
That's a good point. Godzilla movie? What? Baby. Take out Tokyo. It's big. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hoping for a Godzilla movie now. (laughs) Still got Gojira over there. You're just hoping for a Godzilla movie now? I'm kind of hoping. Is this movie to be a Godzilla movie or? Uh, 2001 would be fun a Godzilla movie in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining a fetus destroying Tokyo, okay? Believe my dreams. <laughs> you weird. You It's a viewfinder. I thought about it and my brain went click and I saw it. <laughs> and that is a beautiful note. Uh, any more thoughts? I've got about 23 minutes of material here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, oh, 23 yeah. minutes, yeah, I think that... Yeah, I, mean, the, I, I guess I, I, I just I'll, I will echo the idea that... I mean, I think we're... Re- especially after having been primed by seeing 2001, that we're, we're really primed to see this as some kind of a great celestial film with these incredible themes of evolution and being taken to another world, but it could... Ver- I mean, I haven't heard... I've never heard an interview with Alex Cox on, on his what he was intending with the movie, but this could again all the all the aliens, all the sci-fi elements just could be an excuse to show this the crazy LA underworld and the improbable hijinks in which they become embroiled. I'm just saying. I'm just well, the that fact out there. is, it kind of gives you kind of that I don't know oddly Ghostbusters feel of the Repo Men, where they're like this weird coven society themselves. I mean, they had their own culture, they had their own. Their, their own uh-huh. ideas. They're, uh, you beat they up one, code. They, they all they come back for it. Yeah, that's they were, right. They, they had a mm-hmm. circle inside. Yep. And each and each character gives something to Otto. Each character that we see, the part of the Reaper Men, gives something to this character. Herodine Sand is kind of the fatherly character. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's his face with a gun kind of gives him another side of it. I don't know The crazy I, uncle. The crazy uncle, <laughs> yeah. Miller is sort of like that weird guy who is both kind of your age group of way older yet way younger than you at the same time? That kind of personality type. I'd say so. Miller was kind of the kind brotherly, uncle unclely kind of figure. Kind of, kind of, he's, uh, kind of, he's kind of the trickster. He's the one who's mm-hmm. the outsider, but you have mm-hmm. a lot to learn from him nevertheless. So you're saying mm-hmm. he's a coyote. He's, he's low-key. Yeah, well, yeah, he's, he res- he's respected by the fraternity, though he's not quite involved, yet he is mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, he's the one that can get away with doing just in things that are entirely outside the system of belief. And the runner cop actually gave was his excuse to finally break free and not do what he was expected to be doing. God, the runner cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a horrible character. Well, not a horrible character. He was a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, he more was. Or less. And that was the point where we got into speaker IDs. That concludes this episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew. They won't all be this long, I promise. Some of them will, but a lot of them are quite a bit shorter than this. My release schedule will be every other Sunday, which is the same as the schedule of the original movie nights. Visit my website at ameliabowen.com. I'm on Twitter, at Amy Bowen. See you next time! The theme music for Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew is Look Busy by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Show notes for this and all my other podcast episodes can be found at AmeliaBowen.com.